Welcome to Bethesda's podcast, episode number nine. This week we are continuing in the Gospel of John with a message titled, Life in the Sun. If you have a Bible handy and want to follow along, we will be in John chapter 5, verses 16 through 30. Pastor Roy Burkett is giving this message from Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Well, I hope you are glad that you are in God's house this morning. I know I am. I've been blessed already. How about you? Have you been blessed? Say amen. Amen. We are blessed in this church to have wonderful talent with our praise teams and our worship leader, Lorena, and I'm just so thankful for everyone that participates and makes our worship meaningful and um, hopefully glorifying to the Lord. I do want to just pause and say thank you to uh, the men of our church. Uh, we had a few men here yesterday who were sprucing up the property, uh, doing a little landscaping and tree trimming and um, hauling junk away. And uh, Would you just stand, the few guys that were here, so we can recognize you, because I don't know who all they were. Just quickly stand so we can recognize you. And ladies, too. <laughs> yes, thank you. Give them a hand for their work. Yes. Thank you. Uh, Many of you know now that Lydia Hofer did go home to be with the Lord, as Wes prayed about this morning, and uh, the service will be here tomorrow at 2 o'clock. To make you aware of that, uh, the burial will take place at Prairie Bible, and we'll have a meal in between. So just wanted you to be aware of that, continue praying for the Hofer family, uh, Stuart and Renee and uh, Ronnie and uh, Tamara, Cheddar, and their families. Today we're continuing our series in John chapter 5, as we're working our way through the Gospel of John. Who do you believe is the theme? Life in the Son. I thought how appropriate as we've talked about the resurrection last week and our life is truly in Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to focus on verses 16 through 30, and we will not have time to exhaust these verses. There's a lot of things I'd like to say that I probably won't have time to. But uh, nevertheless, we'll read down through it and uh, focus on a few things. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. And we learned earlier that he healed the invalid man who had been sick for 38 years. Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life for whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, 
So he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are left in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. There's a story about a kindergarten teacher who asked a boy what he was drawing. Without pausing to look up, he said, a picture of God. The teacher smiled and responded, but nobody knows what God looks like. The boy carefully put down his crayon and looked her squarely in the eye and declared, they will when I'm finished. John is giving us a glimpse of what God looks like in the person of Jesus Christ. The Jews did not like the picture that John was painting. They not only did not like the picture that John was painting, but they did not like the words that went with the picture. And they were rejecting Jesus as God. Not much has changed in the past 20 centuries because there are many, many Jews today who are blind to the fact that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. Some of you might remember a number of years ago, I was a bread salesman in my hometown, Akron, Ohio, for a number of years, and I worked my way into management, and it was a Jewish-owned company. And so, as, as Jews, they had certain things they did, and uh, they had kosher products and various things like that, but annually, they would have a management uh, seminar uh, for all the management to go to annually. And so I went to a couple of those, and um, usually you'd bring your spouse or your significant other. Since I was not married and did not have a significant other, I went by myself. And I remember on a couple of occasions, they asked me to give the opening prayer for the opening uh, meal that they had for the weekend. And I remember up in my room, I got down on my knees and I prayed, and I just asked God, give me the words to say that will touch the hearts of these people. Uh, because I wanted it to be a witness and a testimony for the Lord. And I remember there was one tiny requirement they had when you gave the prayer. You could not end your prayer in Jesus' name. Because the Jew does not recognize, typically, the Jew does not recognize Jesus as a Messiah. Now, there are some Messianic Jews. And so when I concluded my prayer, I said, in the name of the Lord... Amen. Because Jesus is Lord, is he not? And so in order not to be offensive, but still to give credit to God that we serve and worship, I prayed in the name of the Lord. And here, what we see here in the opening verses of our text today is we see the authority of Jesus. And they did not like the authority with which he was coming off because he was breaking the rules, as it were. Jesus reveals himself by claiming equality with God. If Jesus is equal with God, oh, you know what? I've got my, thank you. I was going to try to click them myself today, so I've got the clicker here. If you're wondering why the guys haven't uh, done that. The authority of Jesus, Jesus reveals himself by claiming equality with God. If Jesus is equal with God, then Jesus has authority over the Sabbath. And this is what they had a problem with because 
They had all these rules and regulations that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Various things. You could only walk so far. You couldn't uh, prepare a meal uh, on the Sabbath. All that preparation had to take place the day before the Sabbath. You'll remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about going back in the book of Exodus and they received their manna a double fold the day before the Sabbath because God was not going to provide any manna on the Sabbath because for them to go out and collect food would have been work. And so they had all these extra rules and regulations that they put on it. Some of those were God-sanctioned as well. So here Jesus heals this paralytic man and he did it on the Sabbath just to get their goat and to show them that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. The Jews turned their hostility toward Jesus. First they questioned the healed man. Then they began to question Jesus, and they weren't even concerned about the man being healed at all. They were more concerned that Jesus broke the rule of the Sabbath. And I want to give a couple verses to kind of show this. In Mark 2, 23 and 24, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, why, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And so they had a problem with them gathering food on the Sabbath, and Jesus was trying to show him he's Lord of the Sabbath. And also in Mark, another time, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Isn't that amazing? All because he was breaking the rules of the Sabbath, but here was the deal. It's never wrong to perform an act of mercy on the Sabbath day. It is never wrong to exercise an act of grace towards someone in need on the Sabbath. That is not considered work. Jesus is saying that's an act of mercy. And you need to understand that. I'm not working. And he was also doing what, if Jesus is equal with God, then Jesus has the same authority as God. And this is where they really had a problem as well. Jesus was following the pattern of his father, and because his father would not break his own law by working on the Sabbath, Jesus was not breaking the law by healing someone on the Sabbath. It was rather an act of mercy. So if the Jews thought breaking the Sabbath was a serious offense, then someone claiming equality with God would be considered utter blasphemy. Look down in verse 18. Well, in verse 17, Jesus says, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And by the way, if God was not at work on the Sabbath, the world would collapse. <laughs> so in a sense, he is always at work because he maintains and sustains his universe. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And it wasn't just that he broke the Sabbath one time, but he was a repeat offender, and that really offended them. And so he's showing he has the same authority as God. Jesus' claim meant that he was equal in nature, in attributes, in wisdom, in power, and in all those ways with God, in authority as well. And it also meant that he could receive worship. And so just think about the Jewish mind and what that meant to them. Because the Jews believed in monotheism. In Hebrews 6, you go back into Hebrews 6, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. 
And so they believed that by worshiping Jesus, they would be worshiping another God. And he's saying, no, I am the very essence of God. I am God in the flesh. And he was trying to get the Jews to understand that. And so was John as he penned those words. I want you to look again at verses that really offended the Jews. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham? I mean, they're like, how in the world could you see Abraham? He was born centuries ago, and you've seen Abraham? He says, I tell you the truth. Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. They wanted to stone him because he was claiming pre-existence. And I don't know if anybody's ever been battered for that, but they wanted to get him for that because he was claiming, again, equality with God. And they picked up stones to stone him as well. Let me show you another one here real quick. Exodus 3, 14. Well, this, is, this was a direct quote from Exodus 3.14. See, the Jewish mind remembered the Jewish law and would have gone back into Exodus and recalled this when God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Two little words. Why? Because they passed on their law and oral traditions orally. If you want to pass on something orally, make it short, right? I am. Is that pretty short? (laughs) I am. And so he was able to pass it on. And the Jewish mind recognized he's saying, I am. He's saying he's God. And so they picked up stones to stone him. Let's go on, uh, John 10, 30. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up stones. Man, it seemed like every time they turned around, the Jews were picking up a stone. Boom. To stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? He's saying, I've done a lot of miracles and stuff, so which one are you stoning me for? Look at their answer. We are not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And that was the problem they had with Jesus. And yet Jesus was making that very claim. So in this passage, it starts off with a dialogue between the Jews and the paralytic man who was healed. And now we move more into a monologue where Jesus gives the reason, rationale for doing what he is doing. And he's saying, the model for my work is my heavenly father. Because if you look in verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. He's saying, here's my model. Here's my example. I am merely a living copy and a representation of you, of of God in the flesh. And they didn't accept it. And yet he was telling them the truth. And they did not embrace it. So in this account, we see two ideas regarding Jesus emerge. The first idea is that Jesus is the divine, powerful Son of God. And the second idea is Jesus also is a humble representative and messenger of God. And they cannot seem to reconcile the two. 
The motivation for the son's dependence was the father loves the son. Now, there's something else that really struck me as I was reading through this. And I have to mention it. It is, it is absolutely overwhelming when you think about it. You think about the courage of Jesus. There was nobody standing by his side. There was nobody who said, well, let me pray with you about this and pray that you will have courage to stand. Let me go up with you and take a stand. He stood alone. What do we have in our day? We have Christians who are afraid to take a stand for Jesus Christ today. Young people, well, I've got to be with my friends. I've got to have them by my side. I've got to have them. Stand alone if necessary. There are things in our culture that are demanding us to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And you and I must take a stand for Jesus Christ. I think about Eric Metaxas. He writes out of the Moody or out of the Decision magazine that Moody puts out in, in the May article. Eric Metaxas writes that Hitler once said of Protestant pastors, listen to this. Here's what Hitler said of Protestant pastors. You can do anything you want with them. They will submit. They are insignificant little people, submissive as dogs. And they sweat with embarrassment when you talk to them. May that never be true of Bethesda Church or any other church. Not only of the pastor, but of the people in the pews that we would ever, ever be ashamed to speak the name of Jesus and talk about the cross. We have some issues in our day that are lightning rod issues, don't we? Same-sex marriage, abortion. And the day is coming, and it is here, people, where we have to speak the truth in love and take a stand for righteousness. We will stand, and we will not bow to the culture. Because if we bow to the culture, we will become a communist nation. <laughs> we just will. We will lose our freedoms if we do not stand up and take a stand. I love this little article in the Minneapolis Star Tribune. This lady writes about a little three-year-old girl who her boldness just, just enthralled me. Three-year-old Katie was taken to a pediatrician during a recent bout with the flu. And as the doctor examined her ears, he asked, Will I find Big Bird in here? Apprehensively, Katie replied, no. Then before examining her throat, he asked, will I find Cookie Monster in here? No, she said. Finally, listening, listening to her heart, he asked, will I find Barney in here? With innocent conviction, she looked him directly in the eye and said, no, Jesus is in my heart and ba Barney is on my underwear. <laughs> You gotta love it. She was just as serious as could be. And but what a testimony of courage. And then I think of David Green, David and Barbara Green, who founded Hobby Lobby in 1972 in their garage. They founded Hobby Lobby. Now they have more than 550 stores in 41 states. But the federal government has mandated that they bow to the Affordable Care Act called Obamacare. 
and that their health care plan must provide four specific drugs and devices that could possibly, potentially cause abortion. It conflicts with the Greens' religious conviction that life begins at conception and is not to be aborted. And here's what the article said. This was also in uh, Decision Magazine. Our family started Hobby Lobby built on our faith, and we want it to continue to live out our faith in the way we do our business. Now, that has gone to the Supreme Court, and they are expecting a decision to be rendered before the end of June. We need to be praying for Hobby Lobby. I thank God for people like that who are taking a stand for righteousness. We need to take a stand for righteousness. What an example in Jesus Christ who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Instead of bowing to the culture. And the other thing is with courage. Do we actually pray and do we actually pray with conviction about lost people coming to Christ? Do we actually invite them to come to church, to hear the gospel, and and invite them with the idea and expectation that I'm expecting them to come? And having that kind of courage to reach out to our world. Don't think we're just going to open the doors and people are going to flood in here. They're not going to. We have to take the gospel to them. Jesus brought the gospel to the Jews. And we have to do the same. We have to do the very same thing. Well, we have to move on. He tells us in verse 21, Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. You'll recall when God established his covenant with Abraham, what type of covenant was it? It was a blood covenant. Why did God choose a covenant associated with blood? Because the Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood is the symbol of life. It tells us that in Leviticus 17.11 that life is in the blood. And God was concerned about life. The shedding of blood would be necessary to reconcile man to God. God is the author of life and he gives life. In the Old Testament we can see Jesus, remember it says Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. And how did Jesus treat life? He gave life. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, he breathed into man and man became a living soul. That was the example of the father. Elijah laid over a child and the child came back to life. But it wasn't Elijah's power that gave life to that child. It was God himself who gave life to that child. If we go back into John, the very opening chapter of John chapter 1, listen to this in verse 4. It says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. God is the author of life. He began to do all of these works, the healing the lame man. In the next chapter, he he feeds the 5,000. A few chapters later, he gives sight to the blind. But all of it is to eventually say he is going to not only resurrect other people, but he is going to resurrect himself. He is the author of life. So if a person rejects the authority of Jesus, they also reject the authority of the Father, 
because the Father has granted this authority to the Son, and he has given the authority of the Son to grant life to whom he will. And that's why the Bible says, he who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I want to go on to our second point today. Not only the authority of Jesus, but our eternity with Jesus. Our eternity with Jesus. Look in verse 24. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. There's two keys here. Receptivity. Hearing and believing are two key words. He says, I tell you the truth. Same thing he started in verse 19. I tell you the truth. He repeats it again in verse 25. I tell you the truth. Jesus saying, truly, truly. <laughs> Some versions will say, amen, amen. So be it, so be it. I am telling you the truth. Hearing the words of Jesus and believing him who sent him are inextricably linked You cannot separate these two concepts. Hearing the words of Jesus and believing in the Father of Jesus is one and the same. Jesus got his words from God the Father, and Jesus perfectly communicates the message and will of his Father. Therefore, it would be impossible to truly hear the words of Jesus and not believe in the Father who sent him. Or it would be impossible to say, I believe in God the Father, but I reject his son, Jesus. It would not be possible. The next thing is regeneration. Regeneration in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And notice in our verse here in our text in verse 24, Who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. That is an amazing statement. He means we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We have been translated from the power of Satan to the power of God. We have been translated from sin and damnation to eternal righteousness and everlasting life with God. We have crossed over the line. And if we have crossed over the line, the reality is I live a different life because I'm on the other side of the fence. Amen? We live different lives. We don't live like the world. I don't walk like the world. I don't talk like the world. I don't act like the world because I have crossed over to a new life in Jesus Christ, life in the Son. Amen and amen. Life in the Son. He's changed me from the inside out, as we sang about this morning. I can't help but have a desire and a passion and a heart for the things of God, for the Word of God. I'm concerned about people who have no appetite for God's Word. You better check the reality of you've crossed over from death to life. A changed life, new desires, new passion, new heart. I want to see people come to Jesus Christ and be transformed by his power. And notice he says in verse 25, what does he say? I tell you the truth, a time is coming and what? Has now come. It's here. 
It has now come. John is focusing on the present reality of our salvation in Jesus Christ and the certainty of our spiritual resurrection because we've heard and believed. Notice he says, A time is coming, has now come, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. There's been a spiritual resurrection for those of us who have heard and responded to the voice of God. We've crossed over from death to life. The eternal destiny of man is at stake when it comes to hearing and believing. And the third word is resurrection. John moves from talking about spiritual resurrection to physical resurrection. He says, down in verse 28, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. The resurrection of the righteous will be a resurrection to eternal life with God. The resurrection of the wicked will be a resurrection to eternal damnation. And that's what the scriptures tell us. And that's why we who have crossed from death to life need to run like to a fire with a water bucket and bring the good news of the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. And we need to have the courage to do so. Let me close with this story. There was a wealthy man and his son. He loved to collect rare works of art. They had everything in their collection from Picasso to Raphael. They would often sit together and admire these great works of art. When the Vietnam conflict broke out, the son went to war. He was very courageous and died in battle while rescuing another soldier. The father was notified and grieved deeply for his only son. About a month later, just before Christmas, there was a knock at the door. A young man stood at the door with a large package in his hands. He said, Sir, you don't know me, but I am the soldier for whom your son gave his life. He saved many lives that day, and he was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck him in the heart, and he died instantly. He often talked about you and your love for art. The young man held out a package. He said, I know this isn't much. I'm not really a great artist, but I think your son would have wanted you to have this. The father opened the package. It was a portrait of his son, painted by the young man. He stared at awe at the way the soldier had captured the personality of his son in the painting. The father was so drawn to the eyes that his own eyes welled up with tears. He thanked the young man and offered to pay him for the picture. Oh no, sir, I could never repay what you did, what your son did for me. It's a gift. The father hung the portrait over his mantle. Every time visitors came to his home, he took them to see the portrait of his son before he showed them any of the other great works he had collected. The man died a few months later. There was to be a great auction of his paintings. Many influential people had gathered, excited over seeing the great paintings and having an opportunity to purchase 
one for their own collection. On the platform sat the painting of the sun. The auctioneer pounded his gavel. We will start the bidding with this picture of the sun. Who will bid for this picture? There was silence. Then a voice in the back of the room shouted, We want to see the famous painting. Skip this one. But the auctioneer persisted. Will somebody bid for this painting? Who will start the bidding? $100, $200. Another voice angrily, We didn't come to see this painting. We came to see the Van Goghs, the Rembrandts. Get on with the real bids. But still, the auctioneer continued, The sun, the sun, who will take the sun? Finally, a voice came from the very back of the room. It was a longtime gardener of the man and his son. I'll give $10 for the painting. Being a poor man, it was all he could afford. We have $10. Who will bid 20 Give it to him for 10 they said. Let's see the masters. The crowd was becoming angry. They didn't want the picture of the sun. They wanted the more worthy investments for their collections. The auctioneer pounded his gavel, going once, twice, sold for $10. A man sitting on the second row shouted, Now let's get on with the collection. The auctioneer laid down his gavel. I'm sorry, the auction is over. What about the paintings? I'm sorry. When I was called to conduct this auction, I was told of a secret stipulation in the will. I was not allowed to reveal that stipulation until this time. Only the painting of the sun would be auctioned. Whoever bought that painting would inherit the entire estate, including the paintings. The man who took the sun gets everything. God gave his son 2,000 years ago to die on the cross. Much like the auctioneer, his message today is the son, the son. Who will take the son? Because you see, whoever takes the son gets everything. Let's stand for a word of prayer. I would ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What is God saying to you this morning? As we think about the authority of Jesus, and what really strikes me is his undaunted courage to stand in the face of opposition, to stand in the face of contradiction, to stand in the face of denial and unbelief, a crowd that was angry and wanted to stone him, and he took a stand for his heavenly Father. Our heavenly Father is not going to demand anything less of us. Do we have the courage to stand for truth and righteousness? Don't bow to peer pressure. Don't bow to the culture, to the crowd. Let's take a stand for righteousness. Let's take such a stand that on the things that matter, that a hundred years from now will really make a difference. That's the things we need to stand for. So that when we are laid to rest, 
people will be able to say, there was a man of God, there was a woman of God who served him with great courage. Maybe you're here today and you can't serve him because you don't know him. He who has the Son has life, the Bible says. He who does not have the Son does not have life. The rest of that verse says, but the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus has made provision for you and I to come to the Father. But he says, no man comes to the Father except through me, through Jesus Christ. He died for our sin to pay the penalty for our sin. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I would invite you right there in your seat this morning to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and make him your Savior and your Lord. Would you do that today? Is God tugging at your heart? Would you simply listen to the heart, the call of God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you for the example of Jesus who exercised authority from the Father and tremendous courage. Lord, may we be emboldened as we study the life of Jesus to have that kind of courage that no matter who we're with or who we're around or what way the wind is blowing, that we're going to take a stand for righteousness and truth. No matter how dark the culture gets, we're going to be a light. We're going to be salt. We're going to preach the cross. We're going to preach the truth no matter the cost. Lord, I pray that each of us has a list of people that we are burdened to pray for, that we pray with expectation about, that we pray with passion over their salvation, that we eagerly look for people to invite that they might come to the Savior and experience life in the Son. Lord, I pray if there's one here today who has never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, that today would be the day of salvation where they would cross over from death to life and experience eternal life and the forgiveness of God and the grace of God. And that they would take the Son, and by taking the Son, they get everything. Lord, thank you for the provision you've made for us. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great Lord's Day. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you have any questions or want to know more about our church, please go to our website at www.bchweb.org or find us on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.